In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning on this special feast day of Pentecost, and happy birthday, church. I would like us to spend some time on the first reading from Acts chapter 2. The word Pentecost can be confusing to some people. Uh, some connect it to Pentecostalism, and that probably signifies somewhat a wild form of Christian religious experience and practice outside the mainstream of church life, involving a lot of noise, waving of hands, and speaking in tongues. And though having that um, said that, Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement are growing throughout many parts of the world. I also know that many of us have been positive, positively impacted by this movement, as well as negatively. Like anything in life, you eat the meat and you spit out the bones. Some meals have more bones than we would all like. We often forget that all Christians, not only those who call themselves Pentecostals, derive their meaning from the first Pentecost. We often forget, too, perhaps equally important, just what Pentecost itself originally was and meant. And as you might guess, we are going to talk about that. And in the true biblical sense of the word, if we are a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of each of us. And the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. So for a first century Jew, Pentecost was the 50th day after Passover. It was an agricultural festival. It was the day when farmers brought the first sheaf of the wheat from the crop and offered it to God partly as a sign of gratitude and partly as a prayer that all the rest of the crop too would be safely gathered. But for the Jews, neither Passover nor Pentecost were only agricultural festivals. These festivals awakened echoes of the great story that dominated the long memories of the Jewish people. The story of the Exodus from Egypt, when God fulfilled his promises to Abraham by rescuing his people. Passover was the time when the lambs were sacrificed and the Israelites were saved from the angel who slew the firstborn of the Egyptians. And off went the Israelites and passed through the Red Sea into Sinai where Moses received the law. Pentecost, the 50th day, isn't just about the first fruits of the crop, the sheaf which says that harvest has begun. It is about God giving to his redeemed people the way of life by which they must now carry out his promises. So all of that and more keeps peeping out from behind what the New Testament says about the Holy Spirit and about Pentecost in particular. So this is a story about the disciples being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit and then going out to bear witness to Jesus and his resurrection, to see people become new followers of Jesus Christ, who make disciples, who continue the process of disciple-making throughout the world. And when we look closely at the way some Jews told the story of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, we can see some parallels there too. So when the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, Moses went up to the mountain, and when he came down, he had the law. So here Jesus has gone up into heaven in the ascension, and so Luke wants us to understand he is now coming down again, not with uh, a written law carved on 
tablets of stone, but with the dynamic energy and power of the law designed to be written on human hearts. He is now coming down again, not in flesh and blood like the incarnation story, but with the dynamic energy and power of his presence designed to fill and empower us for his mission and purposes in the world. Pentecost then is a word with a very particular meaning which Luke is keen that we should grasp. But of course, the first day of Pentecost and the experience of God's Holy Spirit from that day to this can't be reduced to theological formulas or interesting Old Testament echoes. Then we can reduce a hurricane to a list of diagrams on a meteorologist's chart. It is important that someone somewhere is... Uh, tracking their hurricane and tells us what is going on. But when it comes to Pentecost, it is far more important that we are out there in the wind, letting it sweep through our lives, our hearts, our imaginations, our speech, transforming us in order that our hearts are set on fire with his love and grace and with the power to fulfill the mission of God. Those images of wind and fire are, of course, what Luke says it was like on that first day. And many Christians and many traditions have used similar images to describe what it is uh, sometimes like when the Holy Spirit comes and ignites fire in the lives of individuals and communities. In our non-quarantine times, when we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, We use images in our worship with red banners moving over the people and representing the fire of the Holy Spirit and flags of celebration. The wind came from heaven is important to understand. The whole point is that through the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself comes from heaven to earth in order that he does his work here through his body, the church. The point is to transform earth with the power of heaven in order to transform and make all things new. And as we know in the time that we are living over these last few days, we need God's spirit to come to heal broken hearts and to renew us and unify us and set us on fire again to love him and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and even love those that don't know Jesus. Notice that in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Luke stresses the point that they were all together in one place. The Spirit comes not to divide, but He comes to unite. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on earth is the presence of the sheer energy um, and power of heaven itself. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the direct result of the ascension of Jesus. Because He is the Lord of all, His energy the power to be and do something quite new, the renewal of all things is available through the Holy Spirit to all who call on him, all who follow him, all who trust him. And the good news is, is those who have come to Christ, been filled with the Holy Spirit, were told by Paul to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us, to ignite in us, Uh, 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 by his presence and his power to transform us again and again and again. The wind and the fire are wild, untamable forces and the experience of the wind rushing through the house with a great war 
uh, a roar, and the fire coming to rest on each person present must have been both terrifying and exhilarating. Of course, there are many times later in the book of Acts, as there are many times in the life of the church, when the Holy Spirit works softly and secretively, quietly transforming people's lives and situations without any big noise and fuss. People sometimes suppose that this is the norm and that the noise, the force, and the fire are the expectation, uh, just as some have supposed within Pentecostalism and similar circles that without the noise and the fire and tongues, something is seriously lacking or deficient. So we should be aware of drawing either conclusion. Luke clearly intends to describe something new here that launched a great movement. The Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do. And sometimes it is without a lot of noise and fuss, and sometimes it comes with a lot of noise and a lot of fuss. He intends to explain how it was that a small group of frightened, puzzled, perplexed, and largely uneducated men and women could so quickly become, as they undoubtedly did, a force to be reckoned with right across the the known world. The power of the good news of the gospel spread throughout the world from ordinary men and women that were filled with the Holy Spirit. It changed the world. If we feel rather ordinary this morning, I want to encourage you. If we feel ordinary, we're great candidates to be used by God in mighty ways. Because he loves to use ordinary people like you and like me. Jesus' mission to Israel, reaching its climax in his death and resurrection, is to be carried out by the church by sharing and embodying this message in all the world. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit, God's presence, the breath of Jesus, to enable us to do the job that we could otherwise never dream of doing. This takes us back to the moment of creation itself. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God breathed into human nostrils his own breath, the breath of life. And humankind became alive with God's life. And now the creating and restoring life of God is breathed out through Jesus, making us disciples and through us offering this new life to the world to continue that process of disciple making. And the result is that peace which Jesus had promised in Luke, chapter 14, and even chapter 16. And with that peace and the power of the Holy Spirit, they were were enabled to perform this extraordinary task. They are to pronounce in God's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit the message of forgiveness to all who believe in Jesus. They are to warn the world that sin is a serious, deadly disease, and to rebuke and to warn, not because they don't like people or because they are seeking power or prestige for themselves, but because this is God's message to a chaotic, confused, and to a rebellious world. Our gospel reading this morning says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Some of us will be called by God into holy orders to be ordained a deacon or a priest, though we are all servants and we are all part of the priesthood of all believers. Some are called to missionary work stateside or overseas, though we are all called to do the work of evangelism and mission. Some will be called and experience big splashes and be well known for your impact in ministry. We have a tendency to hear more about people like these or to judge success in ministry based on first-time commitments or massive crowds. Some of us have come from the evangelical tradition when we understand salvation experiences like Paul's dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. He was knocked to the ground, blinded, converted, and three days later received his eyesight. Some of us have even thought or we have been told that this was the norm to all conversion experiences. Nonetheless, this is not the experience for many, not even in the biblical narrative. For most of us, it is a gradual turning and changing and transforming. Like a seed growing in the ground for weeks and months before there is even any sign of life. There was repentance and faith over an extended period of time, but we might not remember the exact date and time, which is often the focus in some circles. The metaphors that Jesus used for the life of ministry in the kingdom are frequently images of the single, the small, and the quiet. Salt, leaven, and seed. Our culture often focuses on the big and the multitudes and the noisy, the splendid, the spectacular, the sensational. However, there is something for us to remember from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. As many of you might know, my ordaining bishop and good friend is Bishop Todd Hunter. I keep up with him and I respect him dearly through phone calls, face-to-face connections, and social media. And I'd like to share a, a Facebook post from him. He wrote, Partnership with Jesus is expressed in a rich variety of ways, Based on your stage in life, we are sent into ordinary everyday lives as disciples of Christ. Young moms, stop beating yourselves up that you can't sit quiet for three hours in a day. Just enjoy your sentness as a young mom. Those of you who are feeling old and like you can't do as much as you used to be able to do, learn to embrace the beauty of old age. Learn to notice the sentness that you have now. If you're in college, stop saying to yourself, it'll be different when I graduate. Be present to the moment that you're in right now. College is the place, the venue in which you express your essential sentness and discipleship to Jesus. Your stage of life, gift mix, temperament, faith development, all these things play into how you experience sentness. Just relax about it. Be at peace with it. Make yourself present with your life in Christ and there you need to change. He'll show you where you need to change. I think Bishop Todd nailed this. Yes, without a shadow of a doubt, we are sent people. We're called to make disciples. We are all missional people. But remember, we are called to faithfulness. One life at a time, Christianity. 
So how do we eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do we reach 7.8 billion people? One life at a time. Christianity is about otherness and building relationships with non-Christians is often a process. It might be a smile here and a written card there and a coffee one day and a meal another. It might be a freshly baked loaf of bread or a plate of cookies. It might be roasting marshmallows over a fire pit or a glass of wine on the front lawn or a beer in the pub or a latte in the coffee shop. All of these things can open up opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ because we've embodied that life and then earned a right to be heard. We're called to a life of love and sometimes the most loving thing that we can do, and I say this often, is listening and listening well. These are things to celebrate. It is one life at a time. It's small beginnings, Salt, leaven, seed, single mustard seed, little yeast. It's faithfulness. That is what we celebrate here at All Saints Cathedral. True missional activity in the church can't be easily determined and expressed through denominational parochial reports. Beware of the call to produce, to work, and to accomplish by people who mean well, as if It is all up to us, and we are the ones that are called to make it happen. We can't do anything apart from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus said this in John, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father do. And if that was true for the Son of God, Jesus, how much more would that be true of us? It is vital that we remember that God is already at work in the world. Our job is not to initiate the work of God, but to join into the work that the Father is already doing. And we don't have to save the world. That's God's job. We're called to radically know, love, and serve the people that Jesus gives us to love. This is the end point and the goal of our discipleship. Jesus knows that faith expressing itself as love and action will always play out in the concrete and very possibly hidden moments of everyday life. It's God's work. God is already at work. He's out ahead of us, and he's inviting us to join him. What if we knew that God was ahead of us, teaching us how to live into his posture of care, love, concern, empathy, and compassion in the world? What if we saw a life of mission as a partnership with the God who's committed to redeeming and restoring lives and relationships all around us? This is not our work. It's God's. And he's pointing us to the reality that our work is simply to partner with God in his work. People mean well. Even in our Anglican circles, they do care about the gospel, discipleship, and mission. They want us to move from institutionalism and maintenance to mission. But sometimes the words and the focus seem more works-oriented and guilt-based, as if it was all up to us and that we're not doing enough. Please hear this. Faithfulness is the key. Love is the answer. 
awareness and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is the clue. Making ourselves available and then being obedient is what it is all about. I am closing. Please stay with me just for another moment. The approach to ministry that All Saints practices corporately and encourages in its members is focused heavily on embodiment and incarnation. A lived life far more than any programs or events that we can host. We emphasize and we look for long-term transformation rather than one-time expressions of commitment. I long for the day that our denominational parochial reporting would take this into consideration. So may the Holy Spirit visit and empower us again in order that we may live life, grow in relationship with the triune God, love people around us, spouse, children, family, neighbors, co-workers, and live faithfully and sensitively to the leading of the Holy Spirit that will invite us to join him in what he's already doing, to renew the world, to make followers of Jesus, to embody in our normal and ordinary everyday lives the kingdom of God. Let us pray. We acknowledge your presence here with us this morning. You are here, God. You live inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And yet, we also join with the church for the last 2,000 years through prayers and chanting and songs. Come, Holy Spirit. You command us, Lord, to be filled. So we're asking you, Lord, to come and fill us again. Come as fire and burn. Convict, convert, and consecrate us. Set our hearts on fire with the love for Jesus. And then use us as you will for our good and for your great glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And amen.